Hey, Randall, I hit continue. Very proud of you, Ronan. All right, folks, it is episode number 45 of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. Full crew here tonight. We got Jeremy Spector. Randall J. Sanders is here. I'm Ronan O'Shea. Uh, 45. Gentlemen, a lot of folks have worn number 45 in Cubs history. One stands above the rest. One of my all-time favorites, Trinidad Hubbard, a former wearer of 45. Jeremy, you got any 45s in your memory banks when you think of 45 in a Cub uniform? Uh, before we go on to 45, I, I do also want to note, I don't think we did mention last week because we were so focused on Kyle Farnsworth that we should also give, you know, throw out some love to Anthony Rizzo, who is number 44. We probably so, should. No, 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 not at no all. love for Rizzo. It was the Kyle Farnsworth. It was the Kyle Farnsworth. I'm just saying Kyle Farnsworth. It was a 44. I feel like Rizzo deserves some love. Uh, not, th- not too much, obviously, but just some. Now, Ronan, uh, you mentioned Trinidad Hubbard as a, a 45 in Cubs history. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you were fortunate enough to do a, 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 a remote interview with Trinidad Hubbard many years ago. Uh, using equipment not terribly unlike what you're using right now. So I think you can draw a direct through line from you interviewing former major leaguer Trinidad Hubbard uh, over the phone to you, of course, doing a Cubs podcast many years later. I think you can directly connect those two points in time. Well, I love Trinidad Hubbard. I met Trinidad Hubbard in Indianapolis, and I was in high school at the time. Jeremy was at that ball game. Our buddy Ryan was at that game. We, we drove down to Indianapolis just before starting college. It was one of the last things we did before kind of going our separate ways for school. And I turned a former Sammy Sosa bobblehead into a Trinidad Hubbard bobblehead and I gave it to him and he took it. He accepted the gift. Very, very cool. I got fond memories of Trinidad Hubbard. 45 is a number. It's been worn by a lot of folks. Terry Mulholland wore 45. Randy Veers wore 45. Kent Bottenfield wore 45. Tim Worrell, Flash Gordon, Ben Grieve, Randall's guy, Will Omen. Sean Marshall wore 45 many, many years as a key part of the Cubs starting rotation. Last couple of years, eh, you know, Logan Watkins, Spencer Patton, Xavier Sedano, Derek Holland, Matt Dermody, if you remember that guy, 45. There's a number that's been worn by some players over the years. Feels like a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, left-handed relievers. But uh, yeah, I, w- I was going to mention Terry Mulholland. That guy had like a rubber arm. Seemed incredible. There's there's definitely been some yep. interesting names on the 45 lift and, and Jeremy Jeremy's not wrong it does seem like a number that they do like assigning to relief pitchers and left handed relief pitchers at that so definitely fair to call 45 a journeyman number. But it's not as good as 44 because but, but then Kyle again, what is 44. But only I can't believe it. We've gotten 45 episodes, started this thing back in March, and that's actually going to be a theme on the show here today. What we want to talk about today, first off, some Cubs news. An assistant pitching coach has been hired to the major league staff. We'll talk about him a little bit. Then we want to reflect back episode 11 of Behind the Yellow Line. This was dated March 27th when we recorded and published it. We made our predictions for what the 2021 season was going to be. These were Cubs predictions. These were National League predictions, American League predictions, award predictions. And now today with word of the National League and American League MVP, we are going to revisit the predictions we made back at the beginning of the year. Put that list together over the last couple of days. I was laughing at some of the picks we made. We were spot on with other ones. So we're going to reflect back on that show in March and uh, eat some crow. We talked about that a little bit last week. We had some horrible guesses or predictions of what we thought was going to happen this year. We'll have some fun with that. We will talk about the awards. 
Um, some notable transactions over the last week or so. San Francisco Giants worked out a deal with Brandon Belt, Verlander, Noah Syndergaard, Jose Barrios. Multiple big names here have signed contracts. We want to talk about it. Some Rob Manfred news today. And then, as we'd like to talk about other sports in the final couple minutes of the show, there's going to be football at Wrigley Field this weekend. We'll talk NU-Purdue. we got some Bears to chat. we got some Bulls to chat as we get ready for the holiday next week. So lots going on here. Let's start with the Major League News with the Chicago Cubs. We've been talking the last couple of weeks about changes to the front office, changes to the coaching staff, and the newest hire has been made. The assistant pitching coach has been selected for the Chicago Cubs. He comes from the New York Yankees organization, Daniel Moskos, now a part of the Chicago Cubs. Jeremy, you remember him from his college days, Clemson baseball program there. This guy's now part of the Cubs big league staff. I actually do remember uh, Daniel Moscos from his college days. He was, he was a left-handed closer, left-handed reliever at uh, Clemson. Uh, you know who one of his former teammates was, Randall? Ooh, let's see. Drafted in 07, so he would have been playing collegiately. Well, actually, uh, the guy I'm thinking of was drafted in 06, but... Okay, well, oh, I'm thinking... Oh, was drafted in 07. Yeah, yeah Matt Moscos drafted in 07, played at Clemson when the, the years prior to that. Uh, drafted in 06 on a Clemson. Nothing's coming to mind, Jeremy. What name is going to wow me? Uh, Tyler Colvin, the Cubs first round pick was drafted. Who could in forget Tyler Colvin, who Clemson. you are, we were positive was not a vampire after he ended up getting staked in the chest by that broken bat. Terrible mm-hmm. injury. Fortunately, he survived that. Tyler Colvin. Wow. There's a name that we could, couldn't possibly forget, even if we tried. And I have another, I have another question for you guys. So Daniel Moscos was the number four pick by the Pittsburgh Pirates in the 2007 draft. Who was the number three pick in that draft? Who was the number three pick in that draft? Uh, Josh Vitters. I'm that guess. is correct. Josh wow. Vitters. Wow. One pick after Josh <laughs> Vitters, uh, Daniel Mosco. So I, I don't know. So like, it's always kind of funny when you, a guy from the past, you know, it's like, oh, I haven't really caught, followed up on that dude. Like what's that dude been up to for the last 15 years? I remember him as a top pick, uh, a, a top college player, never really making it. And now he's coming back in, this, in the Cubs. And apparently he's been, you know, working at driveline, kind of focusing on coaching now. And so it's interesting that I think this is the first ever assist, official, at least assistant pitching coach in Cubs history as an official title, at least. So that's kind of cool. So I'm, I'm intrigued by this hire. Yeah. It seems like he's well-regarded as a, uh, as a coach uh, at driveline. He wasn't just a trainer. He was a throwing trainer, which uh, my understanding is that's a lot of working with guys on mechanics and specifically how to get that velocity up using different exercises. So he has a great deal of coaching experience. He's been coaching in the Yankees organization at their A-ball club and with their double-A club, the uh, Trenton Thunder, um, the last couple seasons. So, you know, this seems like uh, a decent hire. It seems like he's got a, for an assistant coach, seems like he's got good background in really working with guys on getting their stuff to play up. And if I'm not mistaken, that's exactly what he's going to work on as a member of the coaching staff is the quote-unquote stuff of the pitchers, their, their ability to pitch and to pitch with velocity and with command. So, you know, as interesting as an assistant pitching coach hire can be, this is. Yeah. From what, from what I can gather and from what, what I've read is, uh, well, they're kind of divvying up different responsibilities in a different way this year and, you know, moving it on. But uh, Mos- one of Moscow's responsibilities is going to be working on the shapes of pitches with uh, pitchers, you know, uh, movements, different things, you know, working at driveline, that that's kind of a big, um, big uh, uh, factor in, in what they do there is, you know, pitch shape. 
And he's going to, that's going to be one of his responsibilities. And I think that's interesting because originally he went to driveline to try to like rehabilitate his career. Like this was a guy who pitched the Mexican league. He was a former first round pick. He's like, what can I do to kind of, you know, try to get back. He was focusing on being a pitcher and he kind of got so into it that like, they were like, Hey, do you want to stick around? Do you, you're like really good at this. Do you want to like teach people? And he became like an intern and then an instructor. And then he got into coaching. And I think that's kind of a really cool thing that like, that's how he started. And it, he was just like, learned so much about it, moved into that. So I think it's an interesting hire. And, you know, Brad Mills also was working with the Cubs and he's moving on this year. So I think there's another hire in their pitching infrastructure they're going to make. Um, but I, I like this one and not just cause like, I remember him from 14 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Well, driveline's built up quite the reputation too, a powerhouse. They're just churning out talent as well up there in the Pacific Northwest. Um, what I like too, though, is it just feels like the Cubs are in a period of adding right now. And what I mean by that is like the last two years have been dominated by people stepping away from position. The Cubs went nearly 12 months without a general manager. It's like now we're getting a sense of, okay, the Theo thing is done. It's run its course. They won a world championship. This is the direction that the team is going moving forward. And even in the season when they were getting rid of Bryant and Rizzo and Baez, and it's like, wow, now the core players are being traded too. It feels like this is addition mode now. And now we're starting to see what's going to make of what will hopefully be the next great Cubs team. So I'm excited. He's coming from a great organization too that's developed talent. Uh, spent last season the double A pitching coach for the New York Yankees. And he'll work obviously with Tommy Hadovy, who I'm impressed with Tommy Hadovy. I, I think that, you know, you could look at last season two different ways. One, the starting rotation was terrible, but I don't know a lot of that was on him. He didn't have a lot to work with. We knew Jake Arrieta didn't have anything. He will still put out there every five days. Trevor Williams, who's going to come up in our prediction segment here in a minute, that really didn't work out. But think about what he did with the bullpen and some of those young guys who got better as the season went on. So this is exciting. I think these are two good minds. I think the Cubs pitching is in good hands. They've got some prospects now working up through the system and we're going to see him add more starting pitching this winter. So lots to be excited about, I think, on this front. Definitely. I, I think it's going to be very intriguing because the Cubs, like a year or two ago, they, they've they done a whole full, like, total just development, training, uh, you know, coaching, overhaul. Everything is different. They've really moved into different places. And, uh, you know, Theo kind of started that, but then he left. It's really kind of been Jed's vision, to be honest. And I think that's interesting because it's like the Cubs knew what wasn't working. They kind of got stalled out. They kind of, you know, other teams passed them by. Like they might have been at the forefront in 2013, 2014, 2015, really. But they knew the Dodgers were passing them by. They know the Astros are passing by the Braves. So the Cubs kind of been trying to, you know, put this together. And it's like a full from major league down through. Like we're going to start at the top and everybody's going to be part of this one thing. It's not just a separate major league, minor league you know, deal. And I, and I think that's very interesting. And, I, and I'm excited to see the results of all that. Here's a question from left field on what November 18th or whatever today's date is when we're recording this. Uh, what pitcher are you most excited about going into next season? For me, it's Justin Steele. Uh, I think he showed out really well as a, in his re-audition in the starting rotation at the end of the season. I think there's always room to be excited about a left-hander who can run it up there with a little bit of velocity. Uh, so I'm most excited to see Justin Steele hopefully get uh, much more of a tryout in the rotation in 2022. So he's atop my list. Jeremy. Um, I, well, on the current roster, I think I'm going to go. I don't know. I'm intrigued. It's, it's tough. I feel like there's going to be people out there that are added that I, I'm really going to be excited about. Sure, um, but just but today, I'm say, uh, today I'll say Wade Miley. It's because yeah. I, I, he always kind of, 
killed the Cubs and he was kind of a soft tosser and, and he's not really what I expected, but he's not the same as like a Kyle Hendricks or some of the other soft tossers that the Cubs say. He throws a lot of cutters. So I'm intrigued to kind of see how that's going to work. Ronan, you know who's your guy? Who's yeah, your guy? I mean, maybe this is obvious, but I'm going to go with the ace, Kyle Hendricks. I think the Cubs can win next year. I think that they can certainly land a playoff spot, especially if there's going to be expanded playoffs, which is very much on the table. If the Cubs are going to be in the postseason next year, Kyle Hendricks is going to have to be good. They need him to be back to the Kyle Hendricks that we remember, at least something resembling that closer than what we saw this year, which, man, there were so many games this year. He's given up six, seven earned runs, and you're like, this isn't good. This is a real problem here. And there's always been questions about how can he keep it up when he doesn't have high velocity. So Kyle Hendricks, that's the guy that I'm most concerned with, I guess. It's who I'm most excited about because I think in many ways the season is going to come down to whether or not Kyle Hendricks is, in fact, Kyle Hendricks next year. Yeah, and and it was a weird season because he, he started slow and he he's kind of always a slow starter and he gets into gear and he and he kind of did get into gear from like May yeah. to through June, he was a pretty good pitcher and then he kind of into July. But then once everything happened, it may he he was not very good the second half of the season. He was pretty poor, and uh, it's disappointing because this is probably the worst season of Cal Hendricks' career. And so it's tough to gauge coming off of that of what you like. I don't. I would not. I do not want to go into next year with Kyle Hendricks as your number one. At the very least, I want to find some other guys that can compete with him to be the number one if they're not the clear number one. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm a little, still a little wary of Kyle Hendricks. All right. Well, we have all winter to talk about Kyle Hendricks. We're going to, in fact, he's probably going to come up here a couple of times. Uh, one of the things we wanted to do now that the regular season is over, a World Series champion's been crowned, and we know the individual award winners, the MVP in the AL and NL announced just a couple of uh, hours before we went live here tonight. What we want to do is revisit our preseason predictions. These are Cubs predictions. These are across the NL, the AL awards. And uh, some of these, we had awesome predictions. Some of them have become humorous. Some of them just awful. We were totally off the mark. We all botched it for the World Series. We'll have some fun with this. So that episode was episode 11, all the way back March 27, as we were trying to figure out what this podcast was going to be. So we've come a long way, folks. This podcast has come a long way. But let's jump straight into it. Uh, One of the first questions that we had was how many wins are the Chicago Cubs going to finish with in 2021? And we were all Yikes. off. It was bad. Yikes. Randall was the most bad. Randall predicted 90 wins and a division championship. Jeremy predicted 87 wins, which he said would be good enough to win the Central. I said 81 wins. The Cubs finished with 71 victories this season, and we all missed the mark. It got ugly there, folks. Well, even even the, the least optimistic among us turned out to be more optimistic than reality. Yeah, I was not factoring in any trades because I thought they would just get off to a decent start. But uh, Randall, you were the way most optimistic. And I feel like a week into the season, you became the way most <laughs> pessimistic. Well, you know, it's it's a long season, Jeremy. There's there's ups and downs. I did predict like, 90 very wins. Fast. Uh, I'm only going to have to say this once. It's a blanket. I own this. I did predict it. It did happen. You can all go back and hear my dulcet tones predicting these things. Strange things happen over the course of a yeah. major league season. Time makes fools of us all. Well, it was grooving until mid-June. Then it got ugly, and then they had another long losing streak, and everybody was gone. So it got away from the Cubs. So I predicted 81, Jeremy 87, Randall 90, both of them with division titles. Cubs finished with 71, and let's hope there's no 90 losses next year. Another question that we had, who would be the Cubs' offensive war leader? Randall went with Javi, Jeremy, Jock Peterson, the World Series hero, I said Chris Bryant, and it was, in fact, Chris Bryant at two and a half F war. 
However, this wasn't what any of us expected. I don't think we all wanted him gone or expected him gone even by the trade deadline, and that's how it played out. I'm actually going to dispute this one, to be honest, because I feel like offensive war leader and what I was thinking was like solely offense, not including defense. And I feel like Chris Bryant was not, if we're looking at offensive war leader, and I, I was, if we're looking at F4, I think Frank Schwindel ended up being like the top offensive player on the Boy, I don't know year. that that makes it any better necessarily, Jeremy, <laughs> if we're looking at the context here. I ran to fan graphs. I thought I had it right. Please pull it up. Well, I, well I, no, I, I'm just saying if you're just, I think total war you, I agree with you. Yeah, it was, but uh, not including defensive. Uh, if we're only isolating offense, I'm saying, I think Craig Shadol had more offensive value than Chris Bryant over the, right. And I that's what the, I think my, my thinking was when I picked Jock Peterson. I see. Cause oh, I, was well, not, I think the uh, intent of the question was all right. Basically non pitchers. All right. I, I think I was thinking Jack Peterson because the uh, Peterson's not great defensively. <laughs> Well, you went with Jock. It ended up being KB at 2.5, and and we'll talk about the home run leader. I guess that's the next one up here. This was a big question, Randall, coming into the year. Who's going to lead the Cubs in home runs here in 2021? We came out of that 60-game season. We got the full schedule this year. Randall, you went Anthony Rizzo as the Cubs leader in home runs. Jeremy, again, on the Jock bandwagon. I went with Jock Peterson as the Cubs home run leader. Patrick Wisdom, who saw that coming? 28 home runs for the Cubs this year. That was a real wild one, Randall. Yeah, again, one of those predictions that just ended up going completely off the rails for us. You don't figure on Patrick Wisdom getting enough plate appearances or playing enough of a role to lead the team in home runs. You don't figure on him leading the team with home runs with fewer than 30. Uh, yeah, just like uh, <laughs> just like the win total. I don't know that even the least optimistic of us would have predicted that player and that total for home run leader. Yeah, it was kind of wolf. And I was big hoping for Jack Peterson. I was very optimistic and it did not work out. <laughs> Jeremy, we when we recorded that back in March, uh, episode number 11, you said Jack Peterson. I instantly asked a follow-up question. Do you remember what that follow-up question did was? Did you ask how many? I said, well, I had a specific number in mind. A more than 40. Did you ask? Yeah. I said, would he hit 40? You laughed. <laughs> which was right. I mean, he didn't get to 40, of course. I think happen. I was thinking like he would hit in like over 35. Yeah. Yeah. That's if I remember correctly, that's what you ended up saying. But the number I threw out was 40. That's what I was hoping. He had the huge spring training. Didn't work out on the North side. Not that it went badly. The team just went badly. He ends up going to Atlanta and with the pearls and everything, he gets a world series championship down there. So good on you, Jock Peterson. And Hey, good on you, Patrick wisdom, 28 home runs, We've talked about the role Patrick's going to have on the 2022 Chicago Cubs. He's going to contribute, and I think we're going to see some more towering home runs from him out on the Waveland Avenue. Uh, so we talked about offensive war again. I think the mindset there was just a position, position player, player war. war. Um, <laughs> because the other question was, who would be the Cubs pitcher war leader? And uh, I went with Kyle Hendricks. Randall, who did you select there as your war leader pitcher? -wise? I also picked Kyle Hendricks because I am an optimistic fool sometimes. And Jeremy, you rounded it out, right? You also said Kyle. Yeah, Kyle Hendricks. I thought that was going to be an obvious and easy selection. Well, it was a guy that was with the team for half a year, but it was not a starter. Craig Kimbrell dominating in the back end of the bullpen, 2.2 F war. He is the Cubs pitcher war leader. And 
Wolf guys, that really captures the season. The starting pitching in particular was very, very lousy. It's this very year. disappointing. Again, for even for as good as a reliever as Craig Kimber was, and he was untouchable. That was easily one of the best half seasons we've ever seen for a Cubs reliever. When a, uh, a reliever who's only on your team for half the season ends up leading your team in pitching war, that generally means your rotation uh, cratered pretty good, and they did. And it was disappointing, but you know, it, it all led it all led to the same place. Yeah, it generally means uh, two things. One, that Craig Kimbrell was pretty spectacular for the Cubs. Yes. He was amazing in a half season to get them, you know, to lead the team in war and that your starting rotation. I mean, Cal Hendricks was here the whole year. He was a starting pitcher. He pitched a lot of innings and he could not top what Craig Kimbrell did as a relief pitcher in a half in and a half a season. So that says a lot about Kyle Hendricks uh, not having a great year last year. And not only did Craig Kimbrell dominate when he was a Chicago Cub, very fun, him coming out of the bullpen, he got back the Cubs' starting second baseman for next year and a key reliever. So all in all, kind of worked out. It was a slow start for Craig Kimbrell on the north side in Chicago. Weird circumstances when he first signed and then the COVID-shortened year last year. But goodness, we got to see really good Craig Kimbrell this year. Uh, just a shame that it wasn't for a better team. Yeah, definitely. I loved Craig Kimbrell last year, and it's a shame that – like you, Darvish, we only got to see such a short amount of him being actually great, and then he was moved on. Yeah, you, Darvish, and Craig Kimbrell, very similar situations. Slow starts, incredible finishes, and then traded off as part of the fire sale. One other question that we asked Cubs-specific going into the year was who would be the Cubs' strikeout leader in terms of pitchers who would record the highest number of strikeouts? Randall, you and I got this wrong. Jeremy got it right, so I'll let you and I kind of start this one off. Jake Arrieta, Randall, woof. That, woof. That I, don't know that, I don't know that woof even begins to cover <laughs> it. I think you would need like a, an entire pack of dogs. You'd need Huxley and all of his friends to equal the amount of woof in my prediction here. Jake Arrieta was not the Cubs strikeout leader. No. <laughs> well, mine was bad too. I went with Might have been uh, worse. Pearl Jam. Yeah, it ended up being worse. <laughs> Trevor Williams was my pick. He had that great first game at Wrigley Field. His dad was there. The ballpark was three quarters empty. We had all the excitement in the world, and that was about it for Trevor Williams as a Chicago Cub. It got all downhill ugly. from there. Yeah, very, very quickly. Um, I, you know, I'm glad they gave it a shot. Like it ended up being a lost year. I wanted things to work out with Trevor Williams. It just didn't. And oh well, no harm, no foul. It ended up, you know, he was included in the bias trade for Pete Crow Armstrong. So I, I feel like it ended up doing more than the Z whatever Zach Davies ended up getting us. Yeah. He just Hopefully didn't. a year from now we are praising Crow instead of eating Crow. Yeah. I'm very excited about Pete Crow Armstrong. I was thinking about that earlier today, just that the Cubs have some real exciting outfielders coming up through the system here. Brennan Davis certainly leading the pack. We're going to see him at Wrigley Field next year. But the next two seasons at Wrigley Field, there's some legitimate outfield talent that's going to be working their way up to the north side. That's fun. Yep, definitely. And, uh, you know, he just got back to swinging the other day. I saw some highlights of him in the cage, and I saw him playing catch with uh, Nick Madrigal in Arizona, throwing cool. the ball around. So it's nice to see Pete Crow Armstrong. But getting back to uh, the pitchers, I, I think we should mention that the guy who did lead the team and the guy I picked to lead the team in strikeouts was Kyle Hendricks. So he did end up leading the team in something positive. Yes. Yeah, but it, there was tough. Again, there were so many starts that were 
un-Kyle Hendricks-like and give him a pass this year. He also had, you know, 35 catchers or so that was revolving behind home plate over the course of the year. Maybe that played some role. The Cubs defense wasn't as good as they were even two years ago. So all of that sort of played into it. I am optimistic about Kyle for next year. And as we said earlier, he's key. If he goes, the pitching staff, I think is going to be all right. If he doesn't go, it could be ugly. The The entirety of episode 46 is just going to be, can you name every Cubs catcher? from the 2021 <laughs> season. That'll that'll be an hour and a half and we're still not not going to get through them all. Well, it was yeah. 9, right? 9 20 18 17 couple hundred, who knows. Well, I did see today a former Cubs catcher got released by the Pittsburgh Pirates. So maybe they'll bring him back in. That was Taylor Davis. Oh, hmm. who could forget Taylor Davis? Sure, bring him home. I mean, yeah, they had the grand slam, so who could forget that? Uh I but I do think going back to Hendricks a little bit. I know we've talked about Hendricks a lot. Um, it is tough though when you're like the one guy on the team that's you know was a 2016 cup and he was basically healthy the entire year so unlike Wilson or Hayward or some other guys that missed time and it's like you see everybody kind of get traded and you're stuck around having to go out there every day it's a little tough so hopefully like that was part of a mindset and he can get back to a different mindset that like okay we're here to compete now in 2022. Yeah just like we kind of write off anybody who had a rough year in the pandemic shortened 2020 season i'm going to write off this rough year for kyle hendricks a difficult situation to pitch in watching all your teammates get traded out so i'm not going to hold the season against him well we're pulling for him he'll be a big part of the conversation here all winter long well in that show that we did back in march we also predicted who would win each division so let's go through that here we'll start in the american league the american league east we had a unanimous prediction and we were unanimously wrong We all had the New York Yankees winning it. Uh, Jeremy had the New York Yankees, in fact, leading the American League in wins this year. But those pesky Tampa Bay Rays, man, they did it again. They take a division title. I've bitched and moaned about their ownership plenty of times over the last couple of weeks. But one thing is certain, their baseball operations staff remains among the best in baseball. And Tampa Bay did it again under weird circumstances. They win the title. Yeah, and as you'll hear... Coming up, I was very high on the Yankees this year. I, I expected a lot out of the Yankees, and they were a disappointing team. And Tampa, you know, they're the upstarts. They always seem to always be competitive. So, if we ever have to rebrand from behind the yellow line for perhaps trademark reasons, mm-hmm. uh, we can use "unanimously wrong" as our <laughs> new title. <laughs> I like that actually. That's uh, that's pretty spot on here. Hey, here's another division we were unanimously wrong about. Surprisingly, so too. American League Central. And yes, Jeremy, it is surprisingly so because I've been high on the White Sox here for a couple of years. Um, I did expect them to make the playoffs. I had them as a wild card team, but I was still drinking the Minnesota Twins Kool-Aid here. And that's who we all thought was going to win the American League Central. Randall goes Twins, Jeremy, myself, Minnesota had an awful season. We were totally off the mark here with the Twins. Oh, terrible. Maybe, uh, you know, the most disappointing season probably in baseball, because I thought they were going to be a competitive team. And I, and I said surprisingly so, because I was surprised that you did pick the Minnesota Twins, and I thought you would pick the White Sox because you've been so high on them, um, which is why I thought it was surprising we were all unanimously wrong on that. But, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I think the Twins will have a little bounce back next year. Well, I got a good one here for you with regards to that. I was listening to the show, and one of the complaints that I had with the White Sox, and I stand by this, is one – they weren't aggressive enough last offseason. They, they should have. In fact, I said on that podcast like five times they needed to go for the kill and they didn't go for the kill. And the example that I gave, talk about being wrong. I'm like, you got to go get Trevor Bauer and not Lance Lynn. <laughs> oh, man. oh, man. I couldn't have been more wrong on that one. I'll oh, eat that one. Goodness. I owned it. 
in well, fairness, I mean, off the field hold stuff. On, hold so. on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, that, that, I had no idea that Trevor Bauer was going right. to. I was talking about performance on the field, but yeah. the other thing that happened that I think them not going out and getting the Cy Young winner. The other thing that happened when we were recording that show is Eloy suffered the injury, and the expectation that day is he was not going to return this season. So we were also underrating, operating under the the assumption that one of their best players, one of their best offensive players, wasn't going to come back at all this year. So I think that's why I made the switch because I was big on the White Sox and I got the Sox winning the Central next year. But I'm with you, Jeremy. Looking back on it, I actually started to write here Chicago White Sox and then listened to it and I heard myself say Twins and I went, wow, interesting. (laughs) And then I put it together that that was also the same episode that Eloy had gotten hurt. So last minute switch and uh, I was way wrong. Yeah, uh, to be honest, it's pretty remarkable. I feel like Eloy came back in July, I want to say, late July. Um, when it seemed like, you know, August might have been at the earliest what people were thinking and possibly September. So um, I, that was pretty remarkable, I think. The funny thing to me, and I'll make this real quick, is that it's an American League team playing a designated hitter out of position in the outfield. Get Eloy out of the outfield before he hurts yeah. himself permanently. Come on. And it, it is funny on one hand. It's also horrible that, like, you saw this coming. We saw the year where there were no fans at the ballpark. Eloy like multiple times falling into the net and left he fell into the net like getting tangled up and there's no fans in the ball like a like a dolphin just sustainably fish your outfielders don't let them get caught in the nets and he's such a talent offensive that for him to injure his arm or shoulder or peck i think is what the actual injury was his peck for him to suffer that injury trying to rob a home run ball that he had no chance of catching in an exhibition game and he shouldn't even be in left field it's just like, God, the White Sox are so dysfunctional. And it ended up, you know, it didn't work out for them in the postseason this year. So Definitely. Sox win the AL Central. We all thought it was going to be the Twins. Here's a division where at least one of us got it right, the American League West. The person who got it right is Jeremy. I went with the Anaheim Angels. That did not work out for Joe Madden. We'll talk about them in a moment. Randall, you went with the Angels. Didn't work out there. Obviously, the injury to Trout ended up being a big problem there, and it was the Astros winning the American League West. They'd go on to win the pennant. Yeah, I, I thought the Astros were a really good team, and they proved it going to the World Series. And I'm on Dusty Baker train. I, I'm Team Dusty. I was all about Anaheim, though, Randall. In fact, I had them winning the pennant. I had them losing to San Diego in the World Series. It seemed like things <laughs> were lining up for them. They've got a world-class pitcher. We're going to be talking about him here in just a minute when we get to the MVP. But with Trout, with Joe there, you know, I thought they'd have the magic, get enough to get in, and it, it just didn't work out again. Absolutely. There was, there was reason for optimism. You've got a World Series winning manager. You have a guy who turned out to be the MVP. You've got a guy who is in the running to be MVP every year he plays. You would think that that's enough for at least the foundation of a playoff team, and turns out they were anything but, you know, injury – a big role but the rest of that roster after the the top two there's just such a huge drop off yeah and it cost them yeah and trout was hurt a lot a lot of it here so it was not the angels but it was the astros in the american league west in terms of wild card kind of a mixed bag here for all of us uh randall had the rays and the white Sox bringing home the wild card jeremy had the blue jays in oakland and i went with toronto and the White Sox. So multiple playoff teams in here, but ultimately we were not right. It was the Yankees and the Red Sox in the American League wildcard game this year. Yes. And a spectacular wildcard game too, with two, uh, with Rizzo and Schwarber leading off for each team. Dueling, dueling leadoff men, both of whom hit home runs. 
Jeremy, I wish you had been right. Ronan, I would, I wouldn't have minded you of being right. I would have loved to see Oakland or Toronto or the Seattle. Blue Jays, Oakland would have been a great game. Would have been a great game. And I would have loved to see Seattle sneak in on that final day, but the, the cards just did not align. Uh, so we were all wrong. And uh, if, if unanimously wrong doesn't work out, we can also uh, add to the list unpleasantly wrong. The cards were in St. Louis and they did make the playoffs. Well, yes. you know, those are the, that's the wrong kind of cards, Jeremy. Those are the bad cards. <laughs> Well, Oakland faded down the stretch. Toronto took it to the wire before missing out on a playoff spot. The White Sox get in as division champs before getting knocked off by the pennant winners. That was the Houston Astros. In terms of our pennant prediction for the American League, Randall and Jeremy, all in New York, thought it was going to be the Yankees. I thought it'd be a magical year in Anaheim, Trout, Otani. We're going to make it happen in Southern Cal, maybe next year. But that wasn't the case this year. Houston wins the pennant. They've been so good in the American League, but uh, I was happy to see them not win the World Series championship. Not that I like Atlanta particularly or, or care about the Braves. I just didn't want to see this Astros team get rewarded with another title. Not a bit. Not the slightest bit of repentance from the, the, the cheating scandal. You know, if, if a lot of their key players had maybe taken the time to say, look, we understand what we did was wrong. We understand that there's a lot of trust to be earned back. That's different, but the way they've painted this is something that was done to them, something that happened to them instead of something that they did and how it's something to be overcome. I got, I got zero use for that. Anytime Houston loses, it's a good day. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not big on Houston either. I agree with you, Randall, in the sense of, uh, you know, I'm not, and Rowan, I'm not, I'm not here to see them win. Um, however, I, I do kind of enjoy the full heel turn they've taken um, where like, you know, Jose Altuve is just being booed out of ballparks and then hitting homers and like whatever. I mean, that has to be an amazing feeling if you're one of those ball players, um, where the whole crowd is just tearing into you and you're hitting like a three, one statement Homer or uh, against the white Sox uh, to win, you know, basically to win the series and everything. So I, I think that must feel incredible, but, uh, I'm on team dusty. I'm not on team Houston. Yeah, Jeremy, I know what you're saying about that being satisfying when you're getting booed and you knock it out, but we're talking over years, multiple, multiple years. I think it drags on those guys, even though they're not going to let us know that they're certainly not going to show it. Like think of everything that Jose Altuve has done in his life to get to be an elite major league player. And this is going to follow him until the day he dies. Like this is always going to be associated with him. I think that gets to those guys. Well, when, uh, you know, one of them, like, if Correa signs with, like, New York or something like that, I feel like they have to get out of Houston. Because I feel like if they start going to other teams and other fa fan bases start, uh, you know, embracing them, then I feel like it'll kind of get overlooked a little bit more when other people are kind of taking it on. If they're just sticking in Houston their whole career, then they're always going to be hated. You know, not to, not to dwell on the Astros too much, but uh, I, I, have, I have video here from April 1st of this season as the Astros were being introduced as the road team in Oakland and the, the not capacity crowd, I'm 25, 30%, whatever the Coliseum was at was booing the Astros being the first, <laughs> the first road crowd to see the Astros um, following the, the coming out of the cheating scandal. So you, you of course are correct. People do not forget even across a, a full year of not being able to be in the ballpark and letting them hear it. Yeah. Well, I'll say this about Oakland fans, too. Obviously, they've got problems drawing there in Northern California. The folks that go to games, they are into it. It is a fun environment when you see baseball games in Oakland. they got to find a way to make it work there. Get them a new ballpark. Get it somewhere in Oakland. Let's keep baseball on that side of the bay. Uh, but let's move over to the National League here. We made our predictions on the National League as well. We'll start in the East. Randall, 
you had it right, man. You knew way back in March the Atlanta Braves were the team to do it. Jeremy and I were thinking New York, and we apologized to Ron Santo in that recording when you and I both said the New York Mets were going to win the National League East. It was looking good for a while in New York, and then it wasn't. Things fell apart. They get Javi. Things were already kind of coming off the tracks when Javi got there, but it didn't get any better, and it was the Atlanta Braves and the NL East. Well, you know, Fred Flintstone taught me don't bet on the races. Ron Santo taught me don't bet on the Mets ever. If there's <laughs> one lesson, if there's one lesson we should all take away from Ron Santo, it's keep your toupee away from the space heater. If there's two lessons we should take away from Ron Santo, it's keep your toupee away from the space heater and don't bet on the Mets. Santo taught me that much, and I honor his memory by never counting on the New York Mets to be anything but the New York Mets. I thought, I thought, you know, it seemed like we were getting a new Mets, you know, uh, Stevie Cohn was coming in. They traded for Lindor. They gave him the 340 million. There was, it was new Mets, right? No, same old Mets, same old Mets, even into this off season, it seems like same old Mets. So uh, I will not probably be making that mistake again. No, no, did not work out over there. We're going to come back to the national league central. Let's go out West though. I so confidently and so cocky back in March said, this is a two team race. It's either going to be the Dodgers or the Padres. And those were the picks that we had. Randall, you and Jeremy both said Dodgers were going to take the title in the West. I thought it was going to be San Diego. Then those San Francisco Giants out of nowhere win the most games in Major League Baseball. They take the National League West crown over the Los Angeles Dodgers. It was a magical season in San Francisco. No doubt about it. An absolutely remarkable season when you get basically all of these aged 30 plus players, you know, who have been struggling pretty much getting the 90th percentile versions of them uh, just like career years out of all of them, or at least return to career norms um, in terms of their prime years. And it was just remarkable that all these guys were able to play so well at the same time. It's like what you think about, it's like, well, if we could get like, you know, the star, like a 90, like the 90th percentile version of this guy, then we'll be good next year. And that like never happens for an entire team. And it happened for an entire team with the San Francisco Giants. And somehow the Dodgers were not the team and the Padres struggled and they blew past everybody. Yeah. You know, in, in, in my defense here, and I guess in our defense, Jeremy, we were only wrong by what one game because oh, that Dodgers division, good team. Yeah. yeah. Cause that division only came down to the, the final game of the season. But uh, no, nobody saw the Giants coming, uh, bursting through that right field wall in San Francisco like the Kool-Aid man to lead Major League Baseball and wins and take that division. So nobody saw that coming. Baseball is a weird thing. And I don't know that anybody saw San Diego cratering either because there's yeah. just so much talent on that roster. And they've made they've gone for in the, you know, in the colloquial sense, they've gone for so many moves that didn't quite pay the dividends they were hoping. So again, baseball is a funny thing. Sports are funny things. You put all the pieces in place and sometimes they just don't build the house you're expecting them to build. Yeah. And as always, the lesson is sometimes like don't confuse activity in the off season for like, you know, production and stuff. While I do think San Diego made a lot of great moves. So I'm not going to like dismiss them but a lot of times it's always the team you know you see the team that's like oh they're the they won the offseason they're the most active team and they just don't do it the next year and i so like as much as i want the cubs to be a major player and to go out and add it's got to be you know the right pieces the right fits for the right thing winning the offseason does not equal winning the world series we see that no. time and time again well you're right it did fall apart for san diego here's the thing here's how smug i am I would say the exact same thing going into next year. This is coming down to the Dodgers and the Padres. 
I don't think you got anything to worry about in San Francisco, Colorado, or Phoenix next year. And maybe so I'll much. be wrong. Maybe we'll see something will happen. But well, Buster retired, already so. a different, uh, yeah, already a very different team in San Francisco without Buster Posey, although they got Brandon Belt back. And we will talk some major league transactions here in just a couple of minutes. But we want to round out some of our preseason predictions here. The National League Central, as we said, Randall had 90 wins for the Cubs. Both Jeremy and Randall had the team winning the division. I had a different team, and I was all in after Nolan went to St. Louis. I thought he was going to be the guy, and it was the Milwaukee Brewers who win the National League Central. Not a whole lot to talk about there, boys. It was ugly. It was bad. It was a tough year. St. Louis gave Milwaukee a bit of a scare, although it felt like Milwaukee had run away with the division by July. St. Louis put a big run on with that long winning streak, and uh, ultimately the Brewers take the title. Well, that's that's the Milwaukee version of running away with the division is you still end up scared in September. Minor league franchise play acting at the big time. Hey, man, they had a good team. They did. They had good pitching. And yeah. another first round exit, first round exit to show for it. Maybe they can hold another Wisconsin only pre-sale and hang a banner to celebrate. <laughs> uh, oh, your Cardinals there are running. Uh, you know, they had they fired their manager after a what, like a 17 yeah. game winning streak. Uh, or is it 18? I don't remember the exact number right now. Um, but that's, that's pretty interesting going into next year. Uh, you know, if you're going to pick the Cardinals again, uh, new manager and a guy, nobody really knows that well, Oliver Marmel. Well, I'm not picking the Cardinals for next year, at least not right now. Um, hopefully the Cubs have an aggressive enough off season that we're all picking the Cubs to win a division championship next year. So those were those picks when it came down to the pennant, Randall Dodgers, Jeremy Padres, Ronan. Padres. So our individual World Series predictions to put it all together. Randall had the Yankees over the Dodgers. Jeremy had the Yankees over the Padres. I had the Padres over the Angels. And we all missed the boat on this one. We missed the boat, but some of us at least had playoff teams in there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll take the uh, heat there for sure. The um, the falling apart of San Diego was shocking completely shocking and i thought anaheim was just going to be one of those teams that would get in and get hot and it didn't work out no uh, the all southern california world series did not come to fruition atlanta kind of was that team that really put it together uh -huh. the final month of the year and then was just playing great baseball in october i thought for a second you were saying atlanta was kind of that team in southern california that came through and i was like what that's so nuts well california. you know they were in the national league west once upon a time they were they were one the, the very odd you know, so are the Reds. Well, now that uh, individual awards have been named here, um, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year. Let's go back to our predictions at the beginning of the season. And let's start uh, with Rookie of the Year. I think that's the right way to go. And we'll go in the American League first. Randall, you went down to Tampa Bay. You thought Wander was going to get called up and get the go. Jeremy was down in the Bay and picked a guy named Randy. And I thought Alex Griloff up there in Minnesota was going to be the guy. And Jeremy, you had it right for the American League Rookie of the Year. Yeah, Randy Rosarena, who was so fantastic in the World Series and the playoffs in 2020, and yet had not exhausted rookie eligibility. So he was the guy I thought, you know, was be a sure thing in terms of he'll be up on opening day. He'll be playing the whole year. So I, I went with that guy. And, you know, I, I don't regret my Wander Franco pick at all. Obviously, they called him up a little later than I expected. He still put up two, two and a half war, FR, as a 20-year-old in 308 plate appearances and only 70 games. So I think if he had gotten called up just a little bit sooner, I think he would have been in that discussion. As it was, he simply didn't play enough games. Yeah, and reportedly, uh, the, you're talking about the Tampa Rays and 
you know, money, not spending money. Reportedly, the Rays are trying to make a 10-year deal uh, offer to uh, Wander Franco and lock him up. And that's what they did with uh, Evan Longoria when he came up as a rookie. So there's, there's yeah, clearly an did. MO as a franchise, even though they've they've changed, obviously, front office personnel since then. There's clearly an MO. You don't have a whole lot of money to spend as a franchise. When you've got a guy who looks like he's going to be the real deal, you got to use your limited financial resources and try and lock him in at a certain rate. And uh, we'll see if Mr. Franco takes the uh, the financial security, potentially before he's even old enough to drink. I mean, for a guy like that who who, you know, didn't really. I mean, it's different for like a Chris Bryant kind of Wander Franco taking the a t- like a ten year, two hundred million dollar deal. Like, yeah, you sometimes you want to cash in, so it wouldn't surprise me. Well, Jeremy, I think you just had the magic trick there, though. You picked Randy. a guy named Randy. I always pick the guy named Th- Randy. That's the that's the thing. That's that's where I yeah. messed up here. That's where you messed up. I didn't I didn't pick Randy, and I had to pay for it. <laughs> National League. Oh, you hear Randall sigh there in the background. National League Rookie of the Year came from the National League Central. Jonathan India of the Cincinnati Reds brings it home. Jeremy and I were thinking National League Central, but we were thinking Pittsburgh. Their young third baseman, Cabrian Hayes, he got injured early in the year, and it just wasn't the year that he was going to have. Randall, who did you think was going to be National League Rookie of the Year? Ooh, this one's going to haunt me. I picked Padres infielder Ha-Sung Kim, the, the import from Korea Baseball Organization. Uh, much like the rest of the roster around him, that pick did not turn out particularly well. As Ronan has had to say numerous times, this this particular episode i own this i made the prediction it belongs to me and it was a terrible one yeah like brian hayes got hurt like on opening day against the cubs uh it right it was, that, it was that first series i think yeah and so uh it was a little disappointing i mean he hit a homer like off, off kyle hendricks and i was sitting there on opening day being like okay that sucks that we're down one nothing but at least my pick's doing well and that did not work out no Nope. Uh, let's go over to Cy Young, starting in the American League. Both of you were in New York. You thought Garrett Cole was going to be the American League Cy Young winner. I went with the White Sox. Their ace, Lucas Giolito. Worst we pitcher s- in baseball. It's from the commercial. Yeah. Oh, the mortgage commercial. I see. I see. You not get those. You know, you probably don't get those commercials yeah. out there. <laughs> I don't listen, get the local ads. Our, listen, our listeners in the Chicago market. We'll, I we'll there's the that. commercials worst pitcher in baseball, baseball in 2018 Lucas Giolito and then he worked hard to be and it flared oh. like crazy <laughs> to be one of the top pitchers the next year every day every game well I thought it was going to be Giolito you both thought Garrett Cole Robbie Ray turned his career around after a terrible season a couple years ago he takes home the American League Cy Young Award that was a real shocker I think of all the awards that were won this year that was uh the biggest surprising would be one of all of them now, I think Jeremy and I do get at least partial credit here. Garrett Cole was at least one of the three finalists for the American second? Leagues. I, I think he finished second, or did he not? He finished third? You know, I, I don't I don't have the exact vote in front of second. me. But um, Robbie Ray now has the, the enviable position of going into free agency as the incumbent American League Cy Young Award. We know uh, the, the top agents will put together these, these binders of accolades about their players to give to the the team suitors that's got to be a real nice uh, PowerPoint presentation slide to print out in that binder is incumbent 2021 American league Cy Young award winner. That goes real well on a uh, sales pitch. Yeah. Uh, Garrett Cole was number two. Uh, number three was another white Sox, not Lucas Giolito. It was Lance Lynn. And I thought Randall was going to make a binders full of women reference uh, on poor <laughs> old Mitt Romney, but uh, it did not, uh, you know, he's just going with binders full of statistics and accolades. He's got binders. There's binders yeah. all over the place. National League Cy Young. 
we unanimously selected Jacob DeGrom. We thought he was going to be the guy. It was Randall's guy. Corbin Burns takes home National League Cy well, Young. They if had you're, really good pitching. If you're Corbin Burns, be sure to put some ointment on it. Um, check back for the next episode of Unanimously Wrong, because that's us, three DeGroms, and the Mets, Mets again. Have you read where DeGrom feels like keeping his arm in a certain position for an extended period of time during the MRI may have stopped him from coming back healthy this year, which is the single most Mets thing ever taking your, your world-class eights pitcher. And he ends up with lingering arm discomfort from having to lift his arm for an extended MRI. It does not get a whole lot more Mets than that. I mean, I think, I still think the most Mets thing ever is your ace starter uh, number one starter having to miss, I believe, opening day because he had held his he was holding his pee in too long for his whole life and was having urinary tract issues. And that would be Matt Harvey in like 2016. And for one of those years, and I think that was pretty Mets because he never you know. he had learned and he, he, he never knew when it was the right time to go because he always held it. His doctor told me he's holding it in too long. And I well, feel like that's pretty Mets. Matt Harvey and his the Dark Knight nickname. He's a great great example of don't nickname yourself and don't believe your own hype. Don't sample your own brand because you I was always like a Matt, Matt Harvey fan. And then he, I kinda, was he was big... great. And then he would kind of hit the wall, but uh, North Carolina, but, and big Pearl Jam fan too. But uh, you know, I, I think we all should get a little bit of credit though. Cause Jacob DeGrom was the best pitcher of sure. baseball when he was on the mound. Sure. <laughs> so I think, we get partial, I think we get partial credit. I agree. I disagree. No partial credit. You're right. You're wrong. Right. That's how we play it. All I'm right. Fair enough. One of us was right. Two of us was wrong. We'll start with who's wrong. Jeremy, very wrong. He said Giancarlo Stanton would be the American League MVP. That did not happen. I at least had the right team, Randall. I went with Mike Trout. I thought he'd win his fourth MVP. You said it's showtime. It would be Otani. And in fact, he becomes the second Japanese player to an MVP joining Ichiro Shohei Otani, the AL MVP. That's a fun story, too. Now, I'd like to say that for as much as I was wrong, especially on something like Rookie of the Year, Cubs Strikeout Leader, all of those, I believe I'm the only person in this group to not only be right on one prediction, I'm also the only person to be right on two predictions. I correctly predicted the National League East, and I correctly predicted the American League MVP. I was right on more than two. What were you? Yeah, what else? Were you, oh, Okay. Okay. Uh, fair enough. But okay, I'm the only person who right on Randy Rosarena. I was right, right on uh, uh, Houston Astros winning. I was right. Uh, and for, for going, are we going including the other ones? Because I was right. Okay. On Kyle All right. I guess I, I guess I'm not as alone in my rightness <laughs> as I thought I was. Point is, I was still pretty good in predicting Otani as the MVP. Uh, I hope in the future we're able to either as a podcast or just as a baseball fandom appreciate what we saw from Shohei Otani this year to be a pretty damn good pitcher on the mound and also be the home run leader as a designated hitter, just an incredible season, an incredible athlete and an incredible baseball player. And to take nothing away from the season that Vlad Jr. had, I think he's going to win some MVPs in his time, but Shohei Otani, what an incredible season and how fortunate were we to be able to witness that? Well, I don't think that's lost on anybody on this podcast because we've been talking about him. Um, I went to see Anaheim during his rookie season, an opportunity just to see him uh, pinch hit in a game. And then I got to see him a whole ton here, part of the All-Star festivities in Denver. So I'm very much on board here. I think this is great for baseball, and he is a real star. And, you know, he seems like a good guy too. Not that that's the end-all, be-all of baseball players, but it's better if you think that at least they're decent people and he comes across that way as well. Remarkable, incredible, just an absolutely amazing uh, year. It's something that nobody's really ever done. I mean, people talk about Babe Ruth, but Babe Ruth never, like, you know, kind of 
you know, did this at the same time. He was a pitcher and then a hitter. Um, never really at the same time though. Uh, so it's just, it's just absolutely amazing. And I went high on the Yankees. I said, everything seemed to be Yankees, Cy Young championship and AL East MVP Yankees. Most, uh, I said the twins were the most disappointing team Yankees again, the playoffs, but pretty disappointing as well. All right. Uh, let's go to national league MVP. Randall, I think you had the biggest swing and a miss here. You said Anthony Rizzo. That <laughs> I did. That I did. Another one that I will own completely. Not even close. He wasn't even in the NL his entire season. Jeremy, no, he... go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, Anthony Rizzo, I applaud Randall for being optimistic, going with the Cub. Jeremy, you picked a guy who was on a really good team, but in injury messed up his season. Ronald Acuna was your pick for MVP, and that ultimately didn't pan out. I think Ronald Acuna is a special, special baseball player. I think he's going to be a 40-40 guy. I feel like Ronald Acuna, seeing how his knee comes back, but, like, legitimately, he has, like, 50-50 uh, possibility. So, I, 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 he was a, he's a great player. He's on a great year. I, I love him. I love Soto. I love Tatis. I love all these guys. But I think Ronald Acuna is a very special player. Well, the guy that I picked – was the MVP until about September, maybe the end of August, and then it fell apart there. Fernando Tatis Jr., I thought was going to do it. He ends up being third in National League MVP, and the winner in Philadelphia, Bryce Harper, putting together a magical season. They give him that huge contract a couple years ago. The Phillies took it to the final series of the year before being knocked out of playoff contention, but a magical year for Bryce. It's just a shame he's not in a Cubs uniform. It is I was hoping shame. for that. I was expecting that. It did not happen. No. I also want to just say about Bryce, though, like, I feel like Bryce is underappreciated. I mean, he came up, he had all the hype. He got voted, like, most overrated player. People were saying, oh, he hasn't, like, proven it. He was always compared to Trout, and Trout kind of went off on his own thing and became such an uh, amazing ball player in his own right that he that kind of overshadows Harper. But Bryce Harper has not won his second NL MVP before the age of 30. He's an incredible baseball player. He's had like over 260 homers so far in his career. He, he's just absolutely an offensive machine. He's had some issues on defense lately. So I think Bryce Harper needs more recognition. I think people have been very critical of him. And for a guy who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 16 years old, and that's a lot of pressure, to be honest. He got drafted as like a 17-year-old because he left high school early to play junior college. That guy, he's proven it, in my opinion, and he's a remarkable baseball player. And I think people need to give him more respect and attention. I think that's totally fair. What would help his case is a little bit more visibility in the postseason. Like, now, yes. Mike Trout's got the three MVPs without the postseason being something that's been routine for him. And I, don't get me wrong, 2017 was good. I'm glad it ended the way that it did for Bryce Harper because the Cubs moved on. But it would be good for Bryce Harper to get some big time at bats here in the NLCS. And he deserves it because he is a generational talent, just like Mike Trout. We're seeing history in the National League. He just needs some postseason at bats here. Goodness. He did have that, and, and it played out in a later year. Um, but he did have that awesome home run off of Hunter Strickland in the postseason in San Francisco and I want to say 20. 15 or I'm not exactly sure what year 2014 it, it was a crazy come around and Strickler came back and beat him like a year or two later and and people were like oh he still remembers that I guess and there was a chart Hunter, Hunter Strickland has a, a long dumb memory <laughs> yeah but it was a bomb in the postseason so kind of a mixed bag here for us we had some predictions right 
We had some predictions wrong. We totally missed on some other ones, but that's how it goes. And that's some of the beauty of baseball is that you can be certain who the best team is going to be, or you're just convinced this team is going to make the playoffs. They cruise until September and then things get funky. The Cardinals had the big winning streak. The Padres season falls apart. Tampa Bay Rays pull out the American League East. Uh, very, very entertaining stuff. It's why we love this sport. It's why I put together this podcast. The hope next year is just better Cubs baseball. Let's keep that interesting into September and then see where things go. But we will go ahead. I was going to say, it's why they play the games. I mean, you, you know, we all love you, you. You love your advanced stats. You love everything. You, you're informed. You, you think you have an idea of what's going to happen, but nobody actually knows what's going to happen. And things like the San Francisco Giants just performing 90th percentile or whatever, other, the Padres performing worse than that, you don't know. And so you play the games. You have an idea. You have a bet, whatever, but you got to play the games. The games are what makes baseball so special. As in baseball, so in life. And they all count. And it does yeah. all matter. Even those games in September when you're out of it, um, I was telling some students this story this week. I was driving around Sunday night last weekend after the Broncos game. They lost a terrible game at home to a bad uh, Eagles team. And I just put on Broncos post game for 10 minutes. I was running a quick errand. And this caller comes in and basically, maybe the Randall approach, if Randall were to call into sports talk radio, he goes, what does it matter? Any of it. It doesn't matter. We got to figure out our ownership situation. This is all a complete waste of time. It doesn't matter. And the host, who was also trying maybe to defend his job and the fact that people should continue listening over the rest of the year, he goes, you're wrong. It does matter. All of these games matter. It's opportunities for players to continue to add stats to their career, to earn jobs for next year, to get opportunities. There are players on the Broncos right now that are going to be on that team when they're good again. And these games matter to those players' development. It's the same thing with the Chicago Cubs. So even though it was a lost year, things got ugly in July and August and September, we saw things that we know like Justin Steele or like Adbert or whoever, they're going to be on good Cubs teams down the road, and this is part of their development. So that's why we watch, that's why we follow a 90 lost Cubs team, and that's why we're going to make more awful predictions next March ahead of the 2022 season. I've asked you guys this question, and I'm going to ask it again. It's a very short answer from both of you. Is spring training going to be delayed? Is opening day going to be delayed because of the collective bargaining agreement? It's November 18th, Randall. Spring training, opening day. Spring training, yes. Delayed opening day, no. I think we shorten spring training, but I think they get to opening day on time. Uh, I'm going to be optimistic, and we'll review this prediction at a later date, and we can mock it again. But I'm going to say no to both. I think things will get done at some point. I'm not sure when, but maybe January, February-ish. And we will not have a delay of spring training or, and if it's possible, maybe a small delay, like a, like less than a week, I would think of spring training. Okay. Um, I think definitely spring training gets delayed. I think they got it sorted out for opening day, but we'll revisit stories. News is breaking on that. There's talks today about the direction of the collective bargaining agreement. There's going to be a breakup here in the next couple of weeks, come December 1st. And then we're going to figure it out. We're going to see the direction that all of this stuff goes. Um, let's talk about some transactions, though. we got just a couple minutes here to go on the pod. Brandon Belt accepts a qualifying offer. A lot of uncertainty whether or not he was going back to the Giants. Randall, they get one of their veterans, a guy who's been around one year. Yeah, he was he, never going anywhere. They, would, they were going to work something out one way or the other. Belt was never leaving. There you go. Okay. Well, he stays in San Francisco. One year, $18.4 million. Um, Justin Verlander re-signs with the Houston Astros, $25 million, Jeremy, for one year. 
Yeah, over the qualifying offer, which he rejected. So he got $7 million more. There was, I guess he was in demand. And his brother, Ben Verlander, broke the news on Twitter. And, you know, he, he tweeted out that he – I don't know if he tweeted out that he had a source, but uh, hmm. Justin Verlander was re-signing with the Astros. So it's always kind of funny when your brother breaks the news. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not big on sources, but I do trust that Ben Verlander has a source when it comes to Justin Verlander. And that contract also comes with an option for 2023. How weird is it that 2023 is now next year? really in baseball parlance, like 2023 still feels in like life a, parlance in life parlance too. 2023 still feels like a decade away, but now it's next year almost. Yeah. One of the best pitchers in baseball when he's healthy, he's going to a new team. In fact, he's going across the country from New York to the Los Angeles angels, Noah Syndergaard one year, 21 million Randall. A couple months ago, you were saying uh, five to 10 mil to get Thor to pitch. He's only gone two innings the last two years he gets twenty-one million to go I to did. Southern Cal. I did say that there is uh, written, there is written and screen captured proof of me saying that. So continuing tonight's theme of being incredibly wrong, I was wrong about the money Noah Syndergaard is going to get. I did not figure he was going to get a year for uh, over the qualifying offer, but that's what the Angels are willing to give him. And I like Syndergaard; he's a great pitcher. I hope he's healthy enough to really make the most of that money, but that's a lot of money and a draft pick. Cause he did reject the qualifying offer. That's a lot of compensation for a guy who's only picked or only pitched a couple of innings the last two years. So I hope he's healthy enough to really live up to it. Yeah. He hasn't really pitched much the last couple of years, but you know, I, I think these, these one-year deals with these high values are kind of interesting. If I remember um, correctly, the Astros did that to Bryce Harper when he was, and Bryce Harper was supposedly maybe even thinking about taking it. It was something like a one-year, $50 million deal or something. And outrageous um, for Bryce Harper to come there. So I wonder if these kind of continue. Jose Barrios gets a big deal with the Toronto Blue Jays. Seven years, $131 million. Uh, They gave up a lot to bring him in, and they made sure that they were keeping him. It's a lot of money over seven years for uh, one of their big-time players. Good for him, young man. Get that money. Secure, your, secure yourself. Secure your future. Good for him. Uh, Javi Bias's brother-in-law. So I wonder if there's going to be a little competition to see who can get more money on. That's property. right. That that's going to make Thanksgiving interesting. Whoever signed yeah. the whoever signed the bigger contract has to uh, bring the turkey this year. Well, we'll see some other moves for the Cubs here uh, as they figure out what the forty-man roster is going to look like. They got five open spots on that roster right now. We're coming up on a Rule Five draft deadline of protecting players here at the end of the week, so there should be some movement on the Cubs front there. Um, let's talk about minor leaguers while we're on that front. Randall, we got news here in the last day or so that minor leaguers are in fact getting housing. We've heard about that over the last couple of weeks, but some specifics have been presented. So what does this mean for those future major leaguers and other pro players in the minors? Well, I think we discussed this on the pod um, a number of weeks or months ago, however long it was, time is a construct, that uh, this policy was coming down the pike and Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball made it official today. There is now officially a minor league housing policy, and according to the press release, it will provide um, it will provide paid for housing for up to over ninety percent of assigned minor leaguers across every level. This goes as low as the spring training complex leagues, the uh, the ACLs, which still throws me off a little bit about players playing in the ACL, all the way up to AAA. And the only players who are not included in this are those who are on major league contracts and are in the minors for rehab or whatever reason, or any schedule to earn six figure minor league salaries. These are guys who uh, maybe are on minor league contracts as veterans that are going to pay them X amount of money or the rare 
minor leaguer who is on that, that huge draft contract, but this is going to cover most of the minor leaguers. And that's great. And not only will it cover housing for them, but there are rules here and I'm not going to read all of them, but there are rules here about uh, the fact that players and we're going to Ronan, you're going to laugh. I'm going to look at your face on this and you're going to crack up. It is, it is in the, the rules here that it is a single bed for each player and specifically no more than two players per bedroom. And there's rules here about the clubs needing to furnish the apartments, pay for utility bills, things like that. If you can't find apartment housing for your players, you need to put them in hotels that meet these requirements. So there's a whole list of things here that the clubs now are required by this agreement to provide for the minor leaguers. And it's a great step. There's still a long way to go in compensating them fairly. This is something that should have happened sooner, but no more minor leaguers living in their cars, no more minor leaguers having to pay more than their regular salary to stay in a hotel. This is a good first step. It's too long coming and I'm glad they were finally able to get this on paper. Yeah. I remember when this first came out, you were concerned about the phrasing of certain players. There was some wiggle uh, room in there. And, and, and then to me, I thought that just meant that they would be means testing it and guys like, you know, on the 40 man or guys with service time and just guys that are being making a lot of money probably don't need to get their paid for. And it seems like that's kind of what it is. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and even, I imagine even guys with high, you know, a Chris Bryant type guy gets a $6 million signing bonus. I, I don't know how that's going to work with him because his minor league salary is still going to be pretty low. That's true. And, um, you the know, bonus we'll find is out. signing bonus. So I imagine he might be, he might, a guy like that might still qualify for that. Cause the, it's, it's based on how much it's kind of actually based on how much salary uh, per week. I think it is. It's something or, or something like $4,000 a week or something. If you're making, um, then you're not, you have to, if you're above that, then you're not getting, you have to find your own housing. No, I did. Yeah. I did say that at the time that there, I thought there was a lot of wiggle room in this and I was a little worried how that was going to play out. Continuing tonight's theme of being wrong. I'm happy to have been wrong in that regard. And it looks like this is going to cover over 90% of the affiliated minor leaguers. And that's a good thing. Yeah. I think it's a great thing. And it's a great thing that I think that in terms of having the teams do it with housing, it's hard for the players you know, if, if you're because there's gonna be like no subletting now because these players had to go out and find their own apartments. They had to rent them. A lot of times you have to rent an apartment for a year. You can't just rent an apartment for however long. Uh, you Let's say you get called up. You're stuck with an apartment or sent down. You're stuck with an apartment in a different city. What do you do with that? So you guys would have to sublet them, whatever. Now it's just, OK, here's my keys. I got to return my keys. Somebody else takes my keys and I am moving. And I honestly, I think it's better for the teams. I mean, it's extra money. But it's, to me, and I'm not, you know, Mr. Money Grubber, I guess. I think, you know, happy cows make happy cheese. I think that happy ball players play better, you know, and, and uh, guys that don't earn stressed out. And I think it's just better for guys to be providing for that. So I would Absolutely. think if you're trying to win and make money, that's good for you. Absolutely. That's why it's been so puzzling. It's not really puzzling, but why, why teams don't put policies like this in place sooner regarding salary and housing. Like you said, happy cows make happy cheese. That's a great analogy. If the goal of the minor leagues is to develop your players, why are you making them live off bologna sandwiches as the post-game spread? Why are you making them squeeze six players into a, a two-bedroom apartment? Why aren't you doing the things to make them comfortable and keep them healthy? So again, there's still a long way to go in compensating them fairly monetarily. And this is something I would be interested in seeing a study of maybe in five years. The South Bend Cubs, of course, have a very nice apartment complex right beyond their center field wall. I wonder if where it is feasible, you might start to see owners of these minor league clubs invest in real estate, uh, invest in you know, land to build apartment housing and things like that. I would be curious to see a study of that a couple of years from now to see how that kind of ripples outward now that you have these, these requirements in effect. Yeah, I think that actually is 
probably going to happen a little bit. Some teams will, you know, put some housing in. But also, I, I, I do want to point out, and I think you, we need to point out, is that the fact that the minor leagues were completely overhauled and a lot of teams were eliminated. So a lot of this is coming out of the fact that a lot of guys, you know, kind of lost jobs. And, you know, and other teams were organized and, you know, some of that money can now be spent on this for other players. So I, I do want to, I, I do think we should make sure that is noted. Well, the, there's no shortage of money for owners. Randall, you're asking, you know, why would you do this? Uh, the reason why, or the answer to that question is uh, most owners have prioritized maximizing profit over winning. And I said that, That's I said, it. I know why, yeah. but in the, in the general sense of why we all know right. why the answer is money. Well, it's a step in the right direction. Maybe I'm picky, but I think they should get their own rooms. I think it's weird making them have a roommate at home and on the road. Think about it. If you're a baseball player, you're in single A ball. You've got a roommate in the room on the hotel. You got a roommate at home. You don't have very much privacy, like ever. That's tough on a 20-year-old or a 21-year-old or any human being. I think they could get their own rooms. All right, like we said. But they should get their own rooms. Like we said, still progress to be made, but it, it is progress made just the same. Or at least your own room at home and then get the roommate experience on the road. Eh, I think that would be reasonable, but it's better than no homes. And this is going to be a positive for minor leaguers. It's certainly a step in the right direction. Six guys jammed into an apartment or what, exactly. a hotel crazy. room or something. Absolutely crazy. Well, here's something that's going to be Car. fun. And Randall got this totally wrong on our rundown. We put together a rundown <laughs> before every show and we write down topics and we want to talk blamed about us. I, no, I didn't blame you. I explained our fault. how you influenced it. I didn't blame you. I didn't say it was your fault. I don't blame you for it. Well, we're excited that football is returning to Rigby Field. It's Northwestern and Purdue. The thing Randall got wrong, he put Illinois on there. So you confuse Illinois and Purdue. Even I'm offended by that. Oh, you know, I didn't confuse Illinois and Purdue. I was listening, not listening. I was watching you two yammer away in the group text as I was updating the rundown. I'm sure you were discussing Illinois because anytime Jeremy is around, we're discussing Illinois or Ronan is discussing oh, Illinois. Because... Illinois kicked Northwestern's ass last time there was a game. Okay. And that's, that's, that's all that happened is what, what I was reading translated into what I was typing. The brain is wired a certain way. It happens. I assure you, I know that Illinois and Purdue are not the same school. And I assure you, I'm aware that Northwestern, Chicago's Big Ten team, official uh, football team of no. Raising Cane's Chicken, uh, is hosting Purdue at Wrigley Field. Historic, beautiful and historic Wrigley Field this weekend. Gross. Not Chicago's Big Ten team. All, hey, all hey, take it up. Take it up with marketing. Boy. Take it up Awful. with marketing, Jeremy. I This is probably less. There's probably like five five six big 10 teams that have more fans maybe all oh, like 10 big 10 teams that have more fans in chicago than North look Atlanta. don't shoot the messenger don't shoot the messenger jeremy well um, Wrigley field looks cool though it does yeah, it, it does. does you know it looks Wrigley a lot field. better than it did 10 years ago yeah they, they've made some changes to the ballpark in the decades since that ensure that uh you're not going to have to only use one end zone due to a fear of a player running headfirst into the brick um, part of the renovations in 2015, 2016 was making things like this more feasible. I have no real interest in the football game or in either team playing, uh, but Wrigley does look pretty neat right now. And Wrigley, of course, is a place that's near and dear to all of our hearts. It's neat to see it being used for other purposes other than baseball. I, um, you know, I, I, I to me, it always kind of rubs me the wrong way. As you said, Chicago's a big 10 team. So Northwestern trying to take control of Wrigley Field and Chicago always kind of rubbed away. So I loved rubbing in their face that we kicked their ass in Wrigley Field 10 years ago. 
But uh, the one thing that I think would be a lot better for the players, besides just running into walls and stuff like that, is the fact that the locker rooms are completely different than they were 10 years ago. Because I remember seeing the pictures, and the Illini had to be in the visiting locker room at that time, so not even the home locker room. And these are not baseball players. These are, and they might only be 20, 21. These are 320-pound men. That they take up a little more, little more space. Sharing lockers, because they had to share lockers, because it's like there's only like 30 lockers, right? And there's 60-odd players on a team that get to travel. So that was not an experience, a fun experience, I imagine, for them. And that maybe that's why they came out so angry and kicked Northwestern's ass. And I'm just going to keep saying it. Mikel is short, 330 some odd yards on the ground. Well, lots of NFL history at Soldier Field. Yes. Obviously, the Bears there, the Cardinals playing games there. Uh, lots of football games have been played inside that stadium. Yeah, I don't know if it had been passed yet, but for a long time, up until recently, it had hosted more games than any other stadium, NFL games, than any other stadium in uh, America. And I, it might still hold that record because Giants Stadium was torn down. And here's a question for the two of you. What sporting event would you like to see played at Wrigley? It'll have hosted two college football games now. What sporting event would you like to see played at Wrigley and who would you like to see in it? Well, I did see the line. I, I unfortunately I did not see the Blackhawks because I was, you know, I wish I could have gone that game. So I think that would have been a fun. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I would have liked, to be honest, I'd be like to transport it back in time and see some Bears playing there in like the '60s. See, uh, you know, some Gale Sayers, Dick Buckus. Those are some bad teams, man. But you know, see that that would have been fun. Yeah, that's a good question, Randall. Um, I, I don't think the dimensions work for a, a full length soccer pitch. Like if you could bring in two big international teams, I just don't think the dimensions work. They barely fit a football field in there now. And if you actually look back when the Bears were playing games at Soldier Field, it went basically up the third base line or into left field. Now the field runs out towards right field. If you actually look at the pictures of Wrigley Field right now, the dugout's been removed. Multiple rows of seats on the Cubs side of the ballpark, the third base side there, have been ripped out of the ballpark. That was part of the new renovations, the ability to do that. Yeah, modular. That yeah, and kind of a cool element to that is that while both teams can go both directions, unlike that Illinois game a decade ago, both teams are on the same sideline. That's kind of different. You don't see a lot of that in college football. Yeah, that definitely I remember being was a part of last year besides or last time besides one direction. They were both on the same sideline. That was very weird uh, to see them like that. It's almost like a basketball game or a hockey game where they're yeah. both you know on the same sideline. Now I'll, I'll say this: I, I think. And I think inevitable is the Bears probably playing one home game at Wrigley Field. And I think you probably bring in the Packers for that. Uh, I mean, that's my prediction. Or maybe you go historic, maybe uh, a season where you've got the former Chicago Cardinals coming back to Chicago when the, the schedule dictates that. I think maybe you, you have them play that game there for historical purposes. I think the Bears playing a home game at Wrigley Field is probably in the cards sometime in the next few years. And I think they're trying to make this a regular bowl game. Uh, a, a regular college bowl game that they'll be playing at Wrigley. Yankee Stadium already has one. So I think more football at Wrigley will become common as the years go on. Well, yeah. I, 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 oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think the bowl game is going to happen. I am a little skeptical, though, about the Bears playing a game there. It's a lot smaller. <laughs> it's a lot, it's a lot, lot smaller. Very, very I don't, I, I think there's kind of rules on how big like an NFL stadium has to be. I'm not sure if there would be cable. That's the reason why the Bears moved out of Wrigley in the first place is because they were forced to by the NFL to move to a bigger stadium. And that's why they moved to Soldier Field. And that's why they're going to move to Arlington Heights. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, and that's why I was thinking, Randall, um, you know, to go back, you never answered your question, actually. Uh, the international friendly probably wouldn't work. I think a bowl game, a regular bowl game would be nice. Uh, I can't envision how an NBA game would work. 
uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah. With the direction things are going, who knows? I if you outdoor ask, outdoor basketball at Chicago in Chicago in November or December, let's make it. Well, happen. I don't think it needs to be in November yeah. or December. They could play in May, where there's games. Like I, I I'm saying that it's probably well, unlikely. There's Cubs in May too, so. Well, right, but they play road games. Like you could, yeah, that's you could work out an NBA thing. game. The yeah, question would be, would you allow an NBA game to be played outside? And I would say that it's more likely than ever for that to be the case. There haven't been exhibition games outside. Right. I think it's clearly going in that direction. So I could see uh, uh, maybe a Chicago Bulls game at Wrigley Field being interesting. Get Michael Jordan back out there. That would be very cool to see. But uh, that's probably the most likely, maybe. But it's too bad because there was soccer played back in the day at Wrigley Field. I just don't think the dimensions allow for a a proper pitch. But maybe I'm off on that. I I would like to know the last time Michael Jordan... uh was that really maybe throwing out the first pitch? Was it the 98 wild card or 163 or something, or was it more recently than that? I would like to know that. If anybody if, knows out there. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if he was uh, in Chicago at all in 2016, if he yeah. made it up there for that, but not sure. Um, all right. We got one minute on this bears Ravens who wins Sunday bears bears. Yeah, I think so too. Ravens have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but the Bears are um, – I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to do it. And, uh, hopefully it's cold out at Soldier Field. Hopefully they it's to... not too cold. I'll be there. <laughs> and then the short week, of course, and they'll be playing Thursday in Detroit. Bulls. Gentlemen, I'm going to the Bulls game tomorrow night. You yeah. are going to the Bulls game. Yeah. Just throw it in. Do me a favor. It was a real rough, rough loss to Portland last night. They blew that big lead, collapsed down the stretch. Do me a favor. Don't predict the Bulls are going to win until the game is actually over because we know what kind of powers you've had, and I'd like to see them win tomorrow and make this a winning road trip on this West Coast swing. So just do me a favor. Don't jinx it. Like, the, I, do, me, do me one favor. I would also like to ask for a favor. I would like uh, you to make sure that uh, my boy Io feels very welcome in Denver and to treat him and to root for him and to cheer for him as hard as you can and to celebrate him, to be honest. Well, I, you know, I'm excited to see the Bulls. It's been a decade since I've been to an NBA game. Um, it just, we're, we're going to be way up on the roof, basically. But I got ahead of the, I, I played the market there with regards to getting tickets on the secondary market. And I've got tickets about half price compared to what people are paying now to get in. So I don't care that I'm up on the roof and paying under face value. And I'm going to see an NBA game for the first time since it was either 2011 or 12 Randall, when we were up in Milwaukee and um, it should be interesting. Uh, I, you know, it's just uh, NBA games meant something to me in the nineties and they really haven't since. So I'm hoping I feel something out at ball arena tomorrow night. Yeah. Good luck. Go IO. Should be fun. Uh, well, we'll be back next week. It is the holiday week, but we are going to get a quick Thanksgiving podcast in. We'll do our thanks for the year. I'll tell you right now, though, Jeremy, I'm thankful for Randall. We're all oh, thankful always. for Randall. And we're thankful for you for listening. If you're still sticking with us here, we will be back next week. We'll get a holiday episode in for Randall and Jeremy. This is Ronan. We'll see you next time. Go ahead. Yeah. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. <laughs> at btyl podcast give us your thoughts give us your comments or just say hello anything you'd like to do very good to get that in <laughs>